0: oh they notice and they argue you copied my color you copied my hands you copied my numerals I was an intern early on when I was in in law school and people would have these stories like 20 years ago I wrote a song on a napkin and I just heard a song on the radio and I, I stole my song can you accuse most brands of being unoriginal a lot of ways of course which is why things like the Datejust just have like endless versions because Rolex is like oh that's a winning formula let's try to milk it for all it's worth that's the business motivation
1: greetings and welcome to this week's a blog to watch weekly a full compliment this week with ariel and david how are you gentlemen
0: i'm very good thank you rick and how are you
1: i'm not too bad at all yourself david oh doing wonderfully what did you sky the show to do last week oh uh, last week i was with
2: bulgari in italy of all places actually
0: narrowly surviving
2: narrowly surviving yeah naples I don't like to judge places by their reputation, so I enter with a clean mind, but, well, there's a reason why, you know, you want to be careful in Naples, let's just put it that way.
1: David touching on Naples, we actually have some commentary on the Bulgari Watch, because somebody, namely Doing Time Scotland, is busy having an existential crisis that we kicked off in last week's show. So we're going to do a little bit of last week's show this week, and play this little bit of audio, and then come back to you. Hi, Rick. This is Doing Time Scotland here on Instagram. You've made me question everything. I hate brand names being spread over stuff. I wear, then you brought up the number of times Rolex is on the rehot, and I'm looking at mine with an existential crisis having been ignited. I hope you're happy now. Okay, so we have aroused an existential crisis in Doing Time Scotland because we pointed out Last week, just how many times the word Rolex appears on the Rolex dial because of the rehot. Sure. Now, David, you kind of kicked off this discussion because of your review of the new Bulgari, which you've just mentioned. Right. So, do you have an issue with brand names on watches or in anything else for that matter?
2: I do when when it's done in a way that appears uh, that the brand is, is taking itself too seriously. Like Rolex with literally seven or eight lines of of just boasting basically superlative this and you know whatever that and perpetual what you know it's like seven eight it's it's like a small booklet of things of of them praising themselves when i watch this bulgari on the bezel a bunch of times it's it's more of um an an italian flair thing for me right it's it's fun it's so over the top and i understand people like not everyone likes over the top things but for me it's different when it's done in a flamboyant way for no good reason. And when it's done in like this very serious way, like we have to tell you these seven things you have to know about this watch every time you look at it, right? So that's how the Rolex Submariner, for example, is different to the Bulgari aluminum, in, in my eyes, at least.
1: So Ariel, is there an ideal number of occasions that a watch should have its brand name on the watch?
0: Well, we'll have no end of occasions where people complain about a brand name not being on a watch. certain requisite number of times, you're only allowed three times four times i mean i i'm not bothered by this aesthetically sometimes it's too much certain brands like to take their own logo or name and incorporate it into their design dna it's simply a choice that they make it's effective for some people it's not effective for others if it's a tool watch and it just says rolex stamped on the dial six thousand times it doesn't make sense because it doesn't offer any additional functional value from a fashion appeal there's something clever about turning your own logo into part of the aesthetic and part of a pattern. There's sort of an interesting brilliance uh, around it. And again, it's not for everyone. What does annoy me is sometimes the exact opposite, or brands have too little information on the watch. I would rather have too much than too little. Oftentimes, you might know the name of a brand, but you don't even know the model. There's no serial number or reference number, anything like that. And good luck going online and even knowing what you have. So I'm not personally upset by it, but I think people should be demanding, you know, more practical information on watch cases from brands.
1: You heard from Doing Time Scotland. If you would like to send us a voice note of something that's got your back up on the show, or you'd just like to tell us some nice things or ask us a question, then we have a new email address. You can email us at podcasts at ablogtowatch.com. Now, the reason it's podcasts is because there is more than one podcast from a blog to watch. There is this one, a blog to watch weekly, but there is also Superlative, which goes out on a Monday, which is Ariel's kind of high-level review with the movers and shakers in the watch world. So go and check out Superlative. But if you've got anything you want to send to either of those shows for us to look at, then the editors get those emails. So send your request, review, voice note to... Podcasts at ablogtowatch.com or hit us up on instagram either at to watch or our individual accounts more of which you will hear about later it's been a busy week actually folk have suddenly decided actually let's tell these guys things and ask them some questions a few weeks ago we posed the question of does anybody actually use a chronograph for anything genuinely practical so i'm going to play this uh, little audio clip from sfe underscore sfm
3: Hello, this is Michael. I'm a watchmaker currently working at IWC as a watchmaker production and production doing regular regulation and whatnot. I use the chronograph for tracking my time uh, for how long I work. So I go to work, start the chronograph, and every time I take a break, I stop it, uh, or I pause it, and then whenever I continue work, I continue it so I can keep time for how long i am working and how long i still have to work have a nice day
1: okay i i think this should be excluded because i'm not sure that it counts if you actually work in the watch industry i think you shouldn't be allowed to say that you practically use a chronograph if you actually work for iwc i think that's cheating So has anybody else got any practical uses they've ever used their chronograph for?
0: I think there's an interesting thing to point out here that this is an individual that times that their work and for someone like me that never has a time where like I can clock out, that's never been relevant. Like I actually don't want to know how much time I'm working. And so it's oh, yeah. really relevant to your, your
2: lifestyle.
1: <laughs> David, do you time your work and then send Ariel the bill? <laughs> no,
2: no, that would, that would be a terrible way of, of doing this. I, I don't think any corporation could afford me that way. <laughs>
1: Ah, okay. So, so on the one hand, there was a little bit of a little bit of violin playing from Ariel saying he's working too hard, and a little bit of violin playing from David saying he's <laughs> not paid enough.
2: <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not suggesting. I'm just saying I, I work a fair bit of time, and I, I learned early on that it's best not to count the hours. And you know, if you do something that you love, you, you don't even think about this. I mean, I don't mean to annoy the the gentleman at IWC uh, by saying this, but honestly, I don't really care about the hours at all. Never wanted a job where I where I would do that.
1: I know. I think that sounds like you can pay them less. I think we should have this <laughs> industrial negotiation live on air.
0: What's actually coming to mind is I've been at watch manufacturers when you know the day is over and watchmakers are precision people, and oftentimes, <laughs> yep, <laughs> the moment, and I mean the moment the workday is done. They literally put their tools down and, whoop, I'm out of here. You've never seen a Swiss person do anything in a hurry that much, okay? Like, <laughs> yeah. They are gone.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Is there a general setting that all Swiss watches are more likely to run slightly fast than slightly <laughs> slow? I mean, can you regulate a watch to run slower in the morning but faster in the afternoon?
2: yeah why not <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> uh, yeah that, maybe that's a thing
0: who, who blow did that a long time ago you remember their crazy uh time traveler watch
2: <laughs> oh they did some i don't remember that yeah you could speed up time or slow it down no way yeah i i remember one of my favorite watches uh linked to this and the and the passing of time is uh, the hermes Le Temps suspendu the, the the watch where you press a little button and then the hour and minute hands retract to like I think it was like 1105 or something like that. And they stayed there until you press the button again. But the watch is still keeping time, but the hands are not. Yeah, but
0: that's, that's like the soup Nazi version of a watch. Like
2: no, no time for you. Like- <laughs> <laughs> no, but the point is you're doing something where you don't want to be reminded of time passing. So you know. I know,
0: but you can play a game with someone's like, what time is like, ah, uh-uh. ah, uh-
1: <laughs> <laughs> good stuff we have a final bit of audio and this is from our friends at the spirit of time podcast and uh, as well as you know telling us that we're great and all the rest of it which is you know fundamentally what you want us to you know we want you to send those kind of messages they also ask us a question which i suspect is a bit of a setup uh, but i'll play it just now and then we will we will deal with the setup send okay. rick
0: praise
1: yes yes tell me i'm great it's what i need anyway we'll play we'll play the audio. <laughs>
0: Hey Ariel and Rick, Greg from the Spirit of Time podcast. Thanks for keeping the morning commutes interesting. Really appreciated your thoughts on the unmet demand for the crown and how it's offering some shine onto other watch brands. actually like to see that. Question for you, as we're firmly entering summer, at least here in the Northern hemisphere, wanted to know if you might have a go-to summer cocktail or drink that folks might be uh, interested in trying out. Mine, the Paloma. Can't really go wrong, tequila, grapefruit, little bit of sparkling water or soda super refreshing keep up the great work thanks
1: i don't know if the the guys spirit of time podcast realized that i'm teetotal and don't drink so i don't know about you two ariel are you a big drinker
0: not not a huge drinker i do like the taste of a good drink i the question of course was what is your summer drink what i got out of it was how for some people, there's like a se- there's like a seasonality, this hobby. Like I-, I live in Los Angeles. We don't really have seasons. so there's never like what's your summer drink? It's what do you like to drink? What do you like to do? <laughs> Not like what do you like to do in May? And it just sh- uh-huh. sort of shows some of the regionality of you know parts of the world and parts of the United States. People get excited about the watches they're going to wear in the summer, summer watches. And for me, like there's no distinction between summer and winter watches and things like that. So I just love how these things like where you live in the world actually have a big effect on your your watch culture.
1: Whereas in Scotland, you get literally four seasons in one day. So you could start in the morning having to have like a hot chocolate and the afternoon be having a cocktail and then be back to just a general drink in the evening because you've literally experienced summer, spring, winter hurricanes hail snow sleet in one day David do you have seasons where you are and do you have a favorite summer drink
2: the summer of drunk the summer <laughs> yeah <laughs> Ariel <laughs> has been to Hungary apparently <laughs> 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 yeah that's that's basically how we operate whenever it's hot it's it's a good excuse to drink in the winter, not so much. Hungarians, I don't think we drink that much in the winter. I mean, we cozy inside like some of these bars and like have a beer or a wine or something. But it's the summer, which means end of March until October <laughs> 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 when we when we like to drink. So yeah, anything refreshing and cold is fine by me. Big gin tonic fan lately. Yeah. All right. Okay.
1: I did have a, a brief think about this. Uh, do you know what, if I said the words Coke float, would you know what that was? Mm. Or is that a Scottish thing? I have is that no doing an
0: illicit drug in the pool?
1: <laughs> no, that's where you put like ice cream in a glass and then you fill it up with Coca-Cola or in our case, it would be Iron Brew. So it would be an Iron Brew float. So oh. do you ever add fizzy drinks to vanilla ice cream?
0: We have the, the root beer float, which I guess would be pretty similar. Right. Oh. Okay.
1: So that would be the closest thing to a summer drink, which is just adding the normal drink that you would have 365 with days more fat year,
0: and cream. But add ice cream.
1: <laughs> So it works with with coffee. You
0: know what the world's most sugariest drink needs? More sugar.
1: Oh, yeah. Listen, if there's one thing we know how to do in Scotland, it's consume sugar. Oh, Anyway, thank you for asking that question for a time. uh, We will be asking you a question in return. So there you go. Right. Let's review some watches.
0: Very interesting watch with the Zodiac Super Seawolf Pro Diver in titanium that I got to review Zodiac had been working on this watch for a number of years, and the impetus behind this project was, what if we had an ISO-certified dive watch? There's a whole complicated discussion that I don't want to have about what it means to be an officially certified diver, but there is a designation that, according to some people, you can only call a watch a diver's watch or professional's diver's watch if it beats ISO, I think it's a 6425 certification. And Zodiac is like, hey, we should do that. And so they decide to make a pro version, which is actually a very appropriate name because it is the professional version of the watch because it's a certified diver's watch for diving professionals. This apparently was much more than Zodiac bargained for. It required them to do all kinds of things like strengthen the way that hour markers were attached to the case and small nuances with legibility and loom and and things like that. And it kind of made them nuts, but they ended up with this crazy collection of watches called the Super Seawolf Pro Diver. They're a little bit larger, 42 millimeters wide. I reviewed the titanium version, it also comes in steel. And while there's only a couple dials released right now, I know that Zodiac has a slew of them and they want to go for all their crazy colors and things like that. This is a significantly more engineered watch than your standard Super Seawolf, which comes in a 40 millimeter wide case. I'm not saying it's better, because of course it is about it's more than double the price. or about double the price in titanium, less in steel. But I'm just sort of trying to explain it's not just a slightly larger one with a different price point. It's a very different type of watch. It feels different in the way it's made and it is made different because of that ISO certification. Titanium it's not a brand new material in the Super Sea Wolf collection. We don't see a lot of it. Comes on a bracelet with a strap. entire bezel is loomed up. It's probably the brightest part. There's a lot of interesting things to say about this watch, and I've liked it and I and I've been wearing it quite a bit. I think that Zodiac is going to continue to play with it a little bit since they've committed to making it for a while. I would say that from a collectibility standpoint, I don't think they're going to make these for that long. So these are kind of interesting watches to get in on and, and while they're available. It isn't, like I said, a very interesting experience in a company like Zodiac making a real diving instruments and, and all the things that go into that so this particular one is a limited edition of 282 pieces it's got kind of a green and orange and black dial and it's just under $2,500 in titanium and you can see more of course on a blog to watch
1: some of the commentary in this relates to the conversation we just had which is a couple of comments about just how much text there is in this style which i think also has something to do with I suspect the ISO certification, you actually need to tell people what it is uh, on the dial. I quite like the look of this. I think this may suffer from being titanium in that it may just feel like it's not there and having spent two and a half grand on a Zodiac, you might want to feel that it's there. But I do like Zodiac's colour aesthetic and this is definitely continuing it into this range. As you see, it is quite a jump in price. Do Zodiac have the brand credentials to support that jump in price, David?
2: I haven't handled these, but I think titanium itself helps justify it big time. I'm I'm a big sucker for titanium watches and dive watches. I don't. Once you start wearing a titanium watch, it's it's really difficult to take the weight off of stainless steel. It just feels unnecessary and, and lumpy. I mean, sure, some people love the weight and the heft of steel and don't like a light watch because it feels flimsy to them. But I've had a large like forty five millimeter white brightling uh, with a titanium case and bracelet and it was so freaking comfortable, looked great. Yeah, I just prefer titanium and for two and a half grand to have potentially nicely made zodiac in titanium, I think that's that's a good deal.
1: It's probably quite good value in comparison to I mean, you know, other big brand titanium dive watches. I mean, is this up against is the is it up against the Pelagos type, tudor type?
0: I think that may be a little bit about what Zodiac was going for, is sort of Tudor and their sites. Yes, there's others out there from I mean, Swatch Group and things like that, but you're right. I think this that's sort of who they're aiming at. Zodiac has a much more playful, sort of colorful, we'll call them sort of theme going on right now, so I wouldn't say that it's sort of a direct competitor from a conservative standpoint, where you know Tudor is definitely more that. But I think that... What Zodiac is also trying to do is demonstrate what they can do. All brands have sort of this ego about them. We can do this. We can do that. We can come at with this price point. We can get this durability. And so brands have these proving grounds that they're frequently trying to, you know, compete with each other in
1: well you can go and have a look at the article at blogtowatch.com. you should also check out uh, every week we now have a complete set of show notes so if you want to specifically comment on this watch having heard about it on the show you can go to the show notes which are generally going to be out thursday friday and comment there and then we will pick up those comments for chatting about the following week so go and have a look at that now Bamford London and unveils limited edition Michelin Bamford B347 Pilot Sports Watch, again with the really long names. Quite a surprising, like we had uh, last week a bit of a chat about uh, collaborations, uh, Bamford and a tyre manufacturer, you know, it's a nice watch, uh, it's probably completely sold out already, you know, I think it was a hundred and... Uh, 33 examples i'm not sure why it was 133 there's probably some really good reason for that but at two and a half thousand pounds plus vat to have the stay puff marshmallow man on the front of the case <laughs> or the box that the watch comes in is is michelin a big brand in the states like is that is it a, I, I, I have no clue as to whether the tire guys that you know of in the States and in Hungary are the same as the tire guys being over here. Is Michelin a US brand as well?
0: I think it's a good question. I definitely know Michelin. I know Michelin makes a very high quality tire. You had Roger Dubuis doing stuff with Pirelli for a number of years, another you know tire maker. You had the Chopard Milamiglia with a sort of tire tread strap that they've been doing for many years that I think may be inspired by a michelin tire actually i think what george bamford does well is he appeals to particular enthusiast groups that if you don't get it you're like i don't understand tires but if you do you're like wow someone was thinking about me and i think that that's what was done you know so well here is that he was able to find something that appealed to a particular enthusiast group which was you know the 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 michelin universe and if you are a car enthusiast and it is a sort of automotive racing thing, I can see that. Plus, you know, we know that people like characters on dials. Would you have been able to predict in advance that a Snoopy on watches would do so well? I don't think so, and so I think that there's a large level of experimentation out there where it's like, okay, what else can we put on a dial? What other characters? And you see a lot of that. And there's a lot of experimentation because people are looking for that next fun character to put on a dial that it'll, it'll sell. So for me, this this entire thing makes sense. I was there in London recently, and George showed me the dials. He was very proud of it. He thought they're very cool. And, and they're fun. But again, it's it's really about appealing to niche audiences. And so by definition, if you don't get it, you're just, you know – You're not one of those members of that
1: audience. I do like the idea of the Michelin expanded universe. (laughs) That sounds like a fun place to be. You've got the Michelin man. You've got the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. What other world characters have we got that are basically, I want to say fat white people, but effectively fat white people the white, fat white people universe
0: there's, it's, it's basically every mascot of a company that makes automotive parts is really what needs <laughs> to go in there okay if you've made automotive something and you have a mascot you're going in this universe
1: who else is there? I mean is it like all the car logos like the Jaguar from Jaguar is in the mission extended universe? I have no
0: idea Or for gas stations you know oil producers spirit of parts, ecstasy. <laughs> car cleaners you know there's probably all these Mr. Clean guys and stuff like the that
1: who WD-40 knows? man
0: is that yeah maybe i don't know
1: <laughs> i didn't realize i found this out the other day that wd-40 is a secret recipe i didn't know that it's a secret recipe in the same way that coca-cola and you know all of these things are well-guarded secrets yeah it's a trade secret go. i i've I been, been trying to cook some lubricant up at home yeah yeah, yeah that's it's hard that's stuff was...
0: don't don't sniff the fumes <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, what do we think of this then, David?
2: If you look back at some of the, uh, you know, even Rolex produced some really crazy watches back in the day, you know, like the Domino speed uh, one and, and so on. And again, not even the biggest brands are immune to this. And like Ariel said, Snoopy has done really well for Omega. So, I say, why not? I mean, I, I don't take any offense just because I don't care for it. You know, I feel like yeah. sometimes the, the, the reaction of people is like, I don't care for this so I hate it. And I'm like, no, why? you don't have to hate it. I mean, it can exist and you don't have to buy it there's i just think it adds to the versatility of watches and every once in a while when such a watch reaches out to a new audience like they're tire guys guys or car guys or whatever these watches connect the world of watches with them and chances are they were not caring for watches that much but now they are like oh okay so watches care about tire guys or car guys, well, maybe I will start caring about watches. That's how I see
1: it. It's obviously just a world I don't know anything about tire guys. Mm. Do you suppose there's a podcast, the uh, oh, a my Blog goodness. to Tire? Just you suppose I, we should Google are there podcasts about tires? It's a religion for some, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You can check that out on a blogtowatch.com and on the show notes, tell us what you think of the latest from Bamford, London.
0: Don't forget the tire is the only part of the car that touches the road yeah that keeps
2: you from dying and in, in, in lots of different i'm
0: ways. just i'm i'm being facetious but that's the type of stuff the tire
2: enthusiasts sure Pergo has launched the laureato absolute chronograph aston martin formula one or f1 edition it's a great looking watch it's a cool piece i like it when brands take one of their quote, iconic designs and just throw an awful material at it. And this is what has happened here.
1: Did you say an awful material or a novel material? I, I
2: think I was going for novel, but uh, you know, maybe that's that's what you wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think about this, Rick? I, I mean, it's it's kind of cool, isn't it?
1: It does just tick the this looks cool box. I like the fact that it's a limited edition collaboration that does not tell you it's a limited edition collaboration on the dial. So I'm all in favor of that. It In light of our previous discussion, it just says Girard Perigo in writing once, and then there's a logo, so I suppose maybe twice. Hmm. I think it probably says Swiss made on it, and that's it. It's a very attractive watch. The back... Where it does say Aston Martin, I do actually think is the thing that ruins it in that Mm. it's a clear case back, which you can't really see because it's completely obscured by Aston Martin Formula One team. But I do like the look of this. The strap looks amazing. The green color is spot on. It's obviously right in with the fashion colors just now. And the burst of yellow, I think, just sets off. I particularly like the chrono pushers and the little color swatches that they have on them it is a very good looking watch I mean it's $30,000 or close to and they're probably all sold out already and it is kind of 8 grand as the article says above the standard Laureato it feels like it's 8 grand more watch I have to say I do like it a lot
2: so a few more words about the uh, the material. What it says is that the brand takes a new approach blending reclaimed carbon elements from the Aston Martin AMR21 chassis with resin and powdered titanium to create a lightweight durable material. So it's basically a crashed Aston Martin F1 car <laughs> <guard. laughs>
1: of which there were several in 2021. Oh yeah. Oh know. yeah,
2: on the wrist. I think it should come with a certificate like stroll visited the barriers uh, in Australia
1: turn, turn- 12. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: But, you know, it's cool. Uh, it's upcycling, I guess you could say, or recycling at least.
0: Someone needed to be hurt in order for you to wear this watch.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's a sales line waiting to happen. But, uh, you know, many watches actually exist today just because of that, right? So, But nobody dares to say that. That's a cool yeah. line. My, my only gripe with this is the movement. I, I'm really not a fan of how Gerbergo is still using this base movement, which is a 3300 base movement. So if you flip around and you look through the, the Sapphire Crystal case back, what you see is a basic automatic movement. And there's no indication that there is a chronograph because the chronograph is a module that's placed on the dial side of the movement. So you're missing out on a nice column wheel or, 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 or a horizontal clutch or some other cool element that you usually associate with, with a chronograph. So that's my only gripe with that.
1: I mean, it's not the prettiest of movements. Uh, not for a chronograph. They've done their best to try and, you know beautify it but it's not the best and i suppose the the rotor just seems a bit disappointing you'd have thought you know some other part from an aston martin that was left in the barriers right could have been used (laughs) as the rotor yeah
0: well it's it's funny because it kind of sends a bit of a signal as to what the relationship is like where aston martin is like um yeah we got all these like spare parts and they're like Don't you mean trash? No, 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 spare parts, and you can use that for your watch thing that you seem to care so much about. Like, you can clearly tell that, like, Gerard Perrigo is trying so much harder than Aston Martin because they're not contributing anything but literally refuse.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is presumably GP from before GP removed itself or was chucked out of the caring group. Are we getting any vibes from the management at GP and Ulysses Nardan as to... What changes are coming from the organization, Ariel? You know the guys quite well.
0: That's a great question. I think that what's fair to say is that Ulysses Ardan and Gerard Perrigo are going to continue. There is a small consortium of investors, I believe, or maybe just one. I think it's a small amount who have basically put their faith behind Patrick Pernod, who had been running the brands before that. And so they're going to use the same facilities. They're going to have the same manager. And for the time being, they're going to execute the same strategy strategies so a lot of it is business as normal for the time being what we don't know is how much additional investment they're going to need or use or have available to them what their successful products are going to be so they have the direction for a little while i think the big question is what are they going to do when when they need to make new plans
1: well you can go and check out uh, what you think of this hands-on review that i believe it was sean that penned yes that sean uh, wrote for us at ablogtowatch.com Okay, a brand that's been in the news a lot recently and has been spoken about several times is Norkane. And Norkane visited us this week with a hands-on for the Norkane Independence 22 skeleton watch. This is a bit of a departure for Norkane. On first seeing this watch I'm like, yeah, I quite like this. It's quite cool. And then I'm looking at it again and I'm seeing lots of whether they're influences or just lots of references to other watches, and whether it's done deliberately or not deliberately, I'm seeing like Oris Propile X, I'm seeing like 5711, all sorts of things in this watch. And I don't know whether that's me liking it more or liking it less. The skeletonization on it is very well done. I mean, it's not an expensive movement, but actually it still looks okay. It's not a shambles looking through at just a fairly standard iteration of this movement. What did you guys get hands on with this as well? Have you seen it in the flesh?
0: Yeah, so I took these pictures and this is a launch that I think really much fits into sort of, hey, let's do one of those as well. The Independence Collection is pretty cool. It was one of Part of the debut of the Norcan company overall. And as you said, it's a skeletonized version of steel on a matching bracelet. And it's, this is a thing in the market. You know, Audemars Piguet with the Royal Oak. They have the skeletonized one and that's, you know, that's, that's a particularly high-end model. And there's everything in the middle now where you have these sort of integrated sort of-ish sports watches with skeletonized dials. It's for the type of consumer that likes to remind themselves that they're wearing a mechanical watch. like to show off a little bit. There's sort of a pizzazz. What we tend to find is that people nearer to the entrance of their hobby, like newer hobbyists like watches like this, as you get more mature, it's not that you don't like it, but you're like, I've seen this, I've seen mechanics, I've seen dials. There's sort of less novelty value to it and you tend to like, you know, more classic looking or at least, you know, traditional dials that have markers and things like that. That's just sort of the way I find that it tends to go. So what we see here is Norcane putting their hat in the ring for having a watch in a segment like this that makes sense this is for people that are getting in it's relatively well priced it's a good performing movement so i think they did a good job i don't know that this is going to be like the, the star model it's not the one that necessarily you know pushes all the right buttons for me because I'm, I'm very different in where i am along my journey watch appreciation but again i like that for new people coming in there's great pieces within brands like norcane it's not just like the tisos and tutors of the world that they go to
1: it's interesting what you say about people's view of skeletonized watches changing as they get the my daughter really likes this watch and i've had the conversation with her saying it'll be interesting to see whether in six months time you really like the look of this watch or whether, as you say, you've kind of got over the, oh, look at all this cool stuff in the background and then your taste has developed into, you know, like in dial finishes and stuff like this. To touch on the previous conversations about writing, why does this watch say Swiss made on it twice? Did they think it needed, like, double emphasize or something? That is slightly confusing as to why you needed to have Swiss made on it twice. I'm, I'm not sure what balance they thought I mean, they were striking. This,
0: this goes back to that conversation from earlier. You know, There's some people that say, you only need to tell me once and I've got it. And other people are like, you know what? If you tell me where the bathroom is five times, I'm not going to hate you.
1: <laughs> so is this double Swiss made? Does that mean that it's, like, more than 50% Swiss made if you put it on twice?
2: No, oh, I think they made it in Switzerland, they exported it someplace, and then they brought it back into Switzerland, put it together <laughs> once again. So double Swiss made.
1: Double Swiss made. So this is like Norky do in and Elang and Zona, yep. and they take it apart and rebuild it so it's been made in Switzerland twice. Probably. We'll need to ask Ben as to his thoughts on that. Nearly 4,000 <laughs> Swiss francs. Is this a value proposition for this type of watch? It, it strikes me as being at the upper end. It's still a Solita 200. Okay. It's a high grade one, but you know, you're getting into some fairly high end territory. It's very hard grand.
0: to price these watches. That's the problem. It's very hard. You price them too high, and then, like you said, you lose out. You price them too low, and then the consumer is like, oh, that's a cheap watch. I don't want that. I want something fancier. Like, it's very tricky to get the right price. Because, again, the audience that buys this is not the individual like you that knows prices and there's none for a decade. By definition, it, it appeals to a more novice person. There's a lot of other watches that Norcaine makes that are going to be more appealing to a more mature or, you know, just just established that seen a lot of watches collector.
1: This is obviously from the pre-Jean-Claude Biver era of being involved with Norcaine. If Jean-Claude Biver had had this watch to be involved with, what would he have changed about it?
0: Well, do you know the name of the watch that he was part of, what it's going to be called? No. It's called the Wild One. The Wild One, right? The Wild One,
2: obviously. We can
1: see, uh, and is it the Wild One? Is one spelled like W O N?
0: No, just 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 O N E, just Wild One.
1: Just uh, so brands uh, love we...
0: the number one. If your watch product has a number one on it, oh, how cool! <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, are we expecting like red ceramic? With, like, 15 lines of text.
0: Lightweight. Very, right, very, okay. very lightweight. And what
1: else do we expect is going to be wild about it? The price?
0: Hopefully the communication. Ah, mm-hmm. well, that would be useful. No, the, pri- the price is going to be, I think, at the five dollars to $6,000 range.
1: Right, okay. And when do we think we're going to see that?
0: Uh, it's late September.
1: Right, okay, cool. Well, we will look forward to that. But if you want to go and check out this uh, latest skeletonized watch from Narcanum, I don't think they've done a skeletonized watch before, have they?
0: This is the first one, I believe.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an impressive first. Step. They have made the Salita movement on the front of the skeletonization actually look quite attractive. So well done to all those involved at North Kane.
2: So it's not a just unwield the Diver X skeleton black watch, which is black, but also yellow, <laughs> which is uh, an interesting way of looking at it. But still, I feel like it's, it's a great looking watch carbon case with their own movement that is uh, just a good match. I feel like Ulysada has been producing this movement for quite some time now, but they can repackage it in all kinds of ways in the sense that it has this vertical construction where the, the mainstream barrel is up at 12 o'clock and you have their own, in-house developed and produced silicon hairspring uh, down at six o'clock. So it's just a lot to look at, and it's not just the styling exercise for the case and the dial, but also a beautiful and and truly unique movement that uh, lives inside. It's just taking me time to get used to that X in the, in the center. It's it's strange because I have a a blast skeleton X info review that I've for a long-term review, actually. And that also has like a square in the dial. And just like the, uh, the, the X, the square has no function other than, you know, decorative. And and same here. And I feel like I like the square, but I'm not sure about this X. It's just something that you have to like wear a little bit and find whether you like it or not. It's, it's the thing that makes or breaks this watch. And it's really down to personal preference. You know, what, what you have to know about these watches is they are super beautifully made. Uh, I feel like Ulysse Norden does not always get enough credit to, you know, how these washers are made. And every once in a while, I ask myself the question, if this was just titled or named or branded a Richard Mille, would people go crazy for it? Same case, all carbon with like yellow accents on a yellow rubber strap with like this cool little metal insert in the in the strap as well. You know, I think people would go crazy. Oh, it's only $130,000 and it's a Richard Mille. You know, I understand the brand value and the appeal, but all I'm asking is if this watch for t- less than 26 grand, 25,800, which is a lot of money, don't get me wrong is as good as something else could be for six times the price with a different name on it, right? So I feel like we have to appreciate, at least not them, for not just pumping out, you know, one steel-cased or, you know, gold-cased dive watch or quasi-dive watch after the other, but they actually push the uh, design envelope a little bit. And, and for that, I, I do have to upload them.
1: I like this because it's different. It's a dive watch. It's a capable watch. But actually, it looks like it just doesn't look like a... Standard run of the mill interpretation of another dive watch. This just strikes me as something that is uber cool. It it's twenty five thousand eight hundred US dollars. I mean, I don't know what kind of world I'm living in when I look at that and think that actually seems quite reasonable. But
2: <laughs> you're living in a crazy world, Rick. That's where that's where you're living in.
1: <laughs> Maybe it is the Richard Mille thing that you look at this and you go, as you say, this could be a Richard Mille for half a million dollars or something daft. And when you see something that kind of reminds you, skeletonized, sporty, carbon, blah, 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 and it's $25,000, you go, hmm, that seems reasonable. The price of a small car. I'm a big fan having done the whole too many brand names on the thing. I really like it when brands do this on their strap. The Maurice Lacroix do it all the time. U.S. Nardan have done it. I like the kind of Breitling and Panerai where they have the brand name. Not quite like sure. Stamped? It's not stamped. What is it? What is it you do to rubber to put those brand names uh, on the rubber strap? It's molded.
2: That? It, it's just molded. Yeah, it's molded into. it. It's in the mold.
1: I like it when brands do that. Having just said that, I hate having brand names all over the watches. But I think this looks. I think this looks epic. Ariel, would you a strong Ulysses Nardan Fire? I know we all were quite taken by their watches and wonders display and all the freak stuff and the historic stuff that we saw.
0: I want them to be weirder. I mean, I've been a fan of the brand for a long time. I like their weirder stuff. I'm a fan of everything they do. But you know, that's one of the companies that makes awesome five or six thousand dollar watches. It makes things, you know, and historically, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. The diversity, the silicon, of course, the innovation there again not everything they do you have to like but i think that they're actually having a really strong period right now with cool watches that are potentially underappreciated and like many things in a couple of years people are going to be like why didn't everyone go crazy about this stuff so i, I yeah. think that's what we're going
1: to see how many watches do USC Dan make a year do we know not sure a couple of tens of thousands for sure so i mean they're a, a reasonable size manufacturer they're not like making five or six hundred watches. They're no, not like a no. Day Bethune. They're, they're actually they've got some actual industrial manufacturing processes to be able to increase volume as the demand goes up.
2: Yeah, one way to assess a brand's size in terms of you know, just the complexity, etc. is to look at the uh, variety of collections that they have, you know. So a, a brand with established collections like Lysnodon will produce more watches than the Bethune, that only launches, you know, limited editions of like 50 pieces or 100 pieces and maybe do two of those in a year, you know, or or something like that. So once you visit the brand's website and you see all these established pillars of a brand, that's where you can start to expect for it to be a larger company. And also I've been to the manufacturer that's now shared with Ger Perigo and I was really quite surprised by the the, the sheer size of the Ulissana manufacturer. It's huge even compared to, to many others that I've been to. And even though sometimes you see pictures of big buildings in Switzerland that are called a watch manufacturer, sometimes there's lots of free space still inside that because they are scaling you know, to have room to expand into or they have uh, you know disused uh, machines or e- entire rooms or whatever but a deal is not a manufacturer it's multiple floors and they make so many different components not just a, a plate and then you know slap a new plate on a movement and call it in-house or anything like that so it not well and truly is an established and actually functional watch manufacturer
1: so go check out the website for more we have a mystery guest this week playing who, what, why, where, when. So mystery guest, who are you and where are you from?
3: So my name is Juan Martinez. I'm director of Art in Time Gallery in Monaco. I am French, but
1: I'm here uh, in Monaco in our boutique. So that is who you are and where you are from. Let's discuss the why of why you're on the show can you tell us about this watch that Art & Time have done in collaboration with a well-known watch brand? So to tell you more about our collaboration with uh, Récence, it's a
3: partnership which starts three years ago. We did a piece unique which was sold in our store and a part of the profit of this piece was given as a donation to the Prince Albert II Foundation. And three years later, we decided to continue our collaboration for a charity to the foundation. And that time we decided to make a limited edition 12 pieces. And instead of giving a part of a profit, we decided that the full money collected on piece number 12 of 12 will be fully donated to the foundation. Good stuff. So
1: is that going to be an auction or is that just a price?
3: So the first idea we had was to give uh, the watch to the charity. And so they were able to organize um, a private gala. And during this gala, there will be a kind of private auction. And the guests will be able to uh, get the piece and give the money of the piece for charity.
1: Where actually are these watches? Tell us a bit about where you are. We are located
3: in Monaco and we made 12 pieces The donation is dedicated to the Pelagos Initiative, which is actually a sanctuary, which is on the sea coast from Italy, Monaco and France. So it's a little area and the donation is going to protect actually the quality of water, but also the wildlife, the sea life, which is here. The owners, we bought the 11 timepieces all around the world because we sold pieces to uh, Singapore, to USA, to Europe. And we are very happy to see that our timepieces are going to travel all around the world.
1: Have these timepieces, the 11 of them, already all been sold?
3: Yes, they have been spoken for. So we found the client quite fast. Actually, within a day,
1: all the pieces were sold. Excellent. Now, we'll come on to review this particular watch shortly. But so the only chance of me getting my hands on one then is to find out how I get it from the foundation.
3: What is interesting, it's uh, actually the private event that we'll do. It's only with their um, regular donators. So let's say someone wants to, to get it through the foundation. I will not be allowed to buy it because you need to be a long-term partner of the foundation to be
1: able to access to this uh, event so you can't sneak me in then yeah not possible <laughs> oh dear so no that's great Thanks for telling us about this now uh, we look forward to reviewing this watch i'm particularly impressed by it uh, but tell us about what else art and time do in monaco two of us met at watches and wonders at a, a lunch table as you do at watches and wonders you just strike up conversations With those around you because you all know you've got something in common but tell us about your background and how you ended up doing this in monaco so basically to tell you more
3: about uh, our concept uh, first we are a gallery we are not a regular store but it's a kind of extraordinary showcase where we have a lot of items dedicated to the time so we have here some antiques we have contemporary clocks contemporary objects telling the time exquisite timepieces from independence and extremely confidential production. But we also have art, art which is linked to the time. So it could be some photo or paintings, all have to be related to time. So our concept, it's actually called Art in Time, which is a combination of uh, the time in the art and the art of time at the same time. So it's a full concept, turning around clocks, and we are very proud here in Monaco to enlight some of the rarest uh, items and timepieces.
1: Yes, I, I am on your mailing list and I do enjoy receiving the email from you every week or so with all the latest and greatest from the likes of Ferdinand Bertoud, one of my particular favorites. Stuff that I can't afford, but it doesn't stop me dreaming when I get your email in on a regular basis. So folks should be encouraged to go and visit the Art and Time website. If for no other reason, maybe it's never going to be something you can afford, but it's a very cool website. Johan and the gang over there are all very welcoming for anyone that's interested in watches. So if you ever find yourself at a loose end in Monaco, I'm not sure that's necessarily something that happens terribly often to very many people, but if you are, you should definitely look up the Art and Time store. Have you got anything or any particular favorite watches that are in at the moment that you can tell us about? So,
3: of course, um, I am not only selling watches, but I personally collect and love uh, time pieces. I'm very lucky because here we have uh, extraordinary complications, but also, uh, let's say, uh, extremely well-finished timepieces. so they can be very simple, but simple in their per- perfection. So you are speaking about it, but among all the, the nice timepieces, I'm very proud to have some Bertou in stock. So the movement and the finishing of every single detail in the Ferdinand Bertoux are quite exceptional. Yes. If I had to buy a single one, I will tell that my favorite, um, it's the Oeuvre d'Or. It's a piece which has for some reason classic look, but at the same time contemporary.
1: And I find every single detail is absolutely perfect. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Johan. Hopefully one day we will get to meet in Monaco and you can show me everything that's there and everything that's to be had to enjoy in that country. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for your time. And it will be definitely a pleasure to welcome you here, share a drink in this beautiful St. Therese here in Monaco. Okay. So that was Johan from Art and Time in Monaco. They are the collaboration partner with another yellow dive watch. It's the week of yellow dive watches. I haven't just spoken of the Ulysses Nordan. This is the Resence Type 5 Art in Time watch. If it was a choice between the yellow Resence and the yellow Ulysses Nordan, gentlemen, would you care to take a pick?
0: I'll fight you for them both. I have two wrists.
1: <laughs> is that the answer? The answer is that they're both cool, they're both very different from each other I'll have them both
0: You really aren't a real, I'll call it ambitious watch lover, if you're okay with saying, no, nah, I just want one of the two things I want You really <laughs> want them both, and you're not going to stop at least trying until that happens, and then you'll want something else You want three, and then four
2: That certainly resonates with me, even though I don't think that this resonance is the best resonance, and I don't think that Luis Nardin is the best Luis
1: Right, okay. So what is your favorite resonance?
2: Just something a little bit more scaled back. This one is just a bit over the top, and I'm sure you know many will like it for that reason. I like these little spikes in the bezel, but overall, I feel like some of its resonance is, is missing. But, you know, who knows? Maybe I, I'll get to put it on at Geneva Watch Days or some other place and uh, fall
1: in love with it. You'll note that it says precisely nothing on the dial of any note or of any scale. It doesn't say Swiss made twice. It doesn't say anything like that. There's a wee logo.
0: The funny thing is that there's a school of thought which agrees with what you're saying, Richard, and that is let's just listen to all those people who complained about the text and let's go the opposite, minimal approach. So people have listened and attempted to incorporate that. The question, and I think we're all curious, is if you listen to people with their complaints about you know, this or that, does that translate into more sales? Meaning, if you sit there and you strip all the arguably unnecessary text off the dials, do people buy it more? Do you have people actually complaining less or do they find something else to complain about? I'm not saying hmm. I know. I just think it's an interesting question. So I wrote a hands-on article with the Tisto PRX Automatic Chronograph. This is a watch that comes equipped with... Uh, it's basically like an upgraded or modern version of the 7,750. It has one of those ETA letter, number, number, dot, number, 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 designations, which is harder for me to remember. But it is essentially based upon the 7,753, and it's a great value. It's about 1750 bucks for... A really nice 42mm wide version of the PRX. Two different dials. Classic. It's got that integrated bracelet look to it. Very well finished. It's a beefy, substantial watch for sure, but a lot of people put it on and they say to themselves, you know, why, why would I buy an offshore chronograph or an overseas chronograph or something like that when you can have something that has a lot of the same appeal for 1750 bucks? So it was definitely a crowd pleaser and uh, I liked wearing them for a while. So those are pretty nice and they are currently the very top end of the PRX collection, which I also have some watches. We haven't really spent too much time with them. Opposite end of the spectrum, the thirty-five millimeter PRX with the quartz movements that are now the entry-level model under four hundred dollars. It's interesting because I think that that the PRX probably has a sweet spot at the under thousand dollar mark for the automatics. The chronograph version is going to be for people that just really want something cool, but you know are not spending you know more than about five thousand dollars on it, and that's a that's a big crowd. So. I think that the Tissot PRX automatic chronograph um, is going to sell well and it's going to be a popular model for the brand.
1: Yeah, there is one of these photographs which does make it look like you have like the skinniest wrist on earth, and that the Tissot looks to be like forty-six mil. I'm not sure if it's just because of the way the bracelet's sitting. You're saying it sits really comfortably and really well. Yeah. Well, that r- remember.
0: This is not a watch that I sized, right? So there are going to be instances where when I'm shooting it, it's going to sit awkwardly and things like that. It's thick. And by very nature of this type of case style with the integrated, you know, lugs and things like that, it's just going to kind of wear bulkier at times. So it is a bulky wearing watch, but when properly sized, it it can fit relatively snugly. I just think it's it's important to show that in a case of this thickness and this size, 42 is, is bigger. 42, not everything is huge.
1: Tissot is, I think, far and away the biggest manufacturer within the Swatch Group. I think they make something like 2 million watches a year. Yeah, possibly. So I think there's no doubt that unlike the Moon Swatch or any other number of brands within both the Swatch Group in general and others, you are going to be able to get one of these from your local Tissot retailer. And it'll be interesting to see how many folk pick them up. David, your Tissot thoughts?
2: Yeah, my favourite... Um... BRX is for sure the the one with the fluted gold bezel. I feel like that's that's the biggest flex of them all, especially because it looks so eerily uh, similar to the one that's on Rolex watches, and the whole watch costs less than the fluted bezel in the Rolex watch, right? So uh, <laughs> I, I feel like that's 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 a huge uh, flex from from Tissot in a way because you know they they were sitting there and they said yeah why don't we make it like that? And the, and the interesting thing about fluted bezels, I think, is that. We've seen multiple different, like countless different variations on the theme, but never really done to the level of quality and execution uh, as Rolex. So all of the time, it's like just somehow it just doesn't work. And uh, Tissok of all, of all the watchmakers comes into the picture and says, you know, here it is. Same, same exact thing, basically for a fraction of the price. And uh, I, I really respect that and I really appreciate that because, you know, it's not like a company can or should, in my opinion, at least own a design for the rest of eternity. It should be democratized in a way. If somebody can make it to the same level of quality for a fraction of the price, I mean, why not? That's exactly what we've been seeing with the integrated steel bracelet segment of the market. Everyone's doing it and everyone's trying their offer trying to like, you know, one up in terms of quality or uh, value proposition. And that's what happened with the bezel as well.
1: And do you, th- do you think there's some strategy? There within Swatch Group, because we do know that, unlike, for example, Richemont, the individual brands do actually speak to each other and do actually have a kind of reporting structure that means there's some kind of central control. Do you think somebody in Swatch Group decided, yeah, I tell you what, we're going to do, we're not going to do an integrated sports watch with a fluted bezel in the Omega side? We're going to do it in Tiso Yeah. So there you go, Tiso Away you go. To annoy Let's Rolex. Let's show to annoy Rolex, exactly. to annoy AP, to annoy... Do you think there is that kind of competition, you know, big boys with big toys type thing yeah. uh, in swatch management?
2: I think that the strategy here was to annoy Rolex. Uh, I mean, Call me a conspiracy theorist, if you will, but I feel like that the whole thing looks eerily like a strategy like that executed to a T. Ariel, what, what do you think about tissot producing this amazing looking fluted bezel uh, on the prx was it to annoy rolex of all things
0: oh the fluted bezel version remember the fluted bezel version is actually the gold ones is is actual gold so it's not just like coated gold it's like it's it it follows up after the gentleman the tissot gentleman was the first one that came out and it was this 1500 hundred dollar watch with a solid 18 quart gold bezel now they've introduced that same concept in the prx so, yes, it is in a sense, but it's, it's less directed at Rolex and more directed at consumers. More like, hey, you associate this as being a shape that should be on a high-end watch. It's just kind of like that.
1: And do you think it's successful? Do you think, do you think anybody at Rolex notices? I mean, is there that kind of boys club? Oh, oh, they notice!
0: Oh my God. And they argue, you copied my color, you copied (laughs) my hands, you copied my numerals, like (laughs) stuff that you're like, you know, when I used to, I was an intern early on when I was in in law school and I was, I would feel these calls. It was, it was a place where like artists would call for legal help and these people would call thinking that their song or their story was like infringed, like it was a potential copyright thing. And these people have these stories like 20 years ago, I wrote a song on a napkin and I just heard a song on the radio and I, I stole my song. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's a, there's an emotional thing that people feel when someone borrows something, which is very different than like what is actually, you know, protectable. So can you, can you accuse TSO of being unoriginal in this element? Yeah. Can you accuse most brands of being unoriginal in a lot of ways? Of course. You know, there are places to look for originality and there's places to not. The PRX is the remake of a watch that they did a long time ago that has been very commercially successful for them. And the the, the sort of like inclination that brands have with popular collections is... If it looks good in the steel version with the blue, let's try to figure out every iteration possible of the PRX so we can sell every version possible, which is why things like the Datejust just have like endless versions because Rolex is like, oh that's a winning formula, let's try to like milk it for all it's worth. And that's, you know, that's the business motivation.
1: Right, that's it for this week's show. I just have I actually have two questions, which is David, we never actually found out where you went for your birthday.
2: Oh, it was just a a little countryside getaway in a beautiful little valley. Uh, no screens, no internet, just just birds chirping away. That's exactly what I need.
1: And the reason I ask that is not because I actually care about where you went for your birthday, but because as you'll be listening to this, it's Ariel's birthday tomorrow. Which, if you're listening, is yesterday. So, Ariel, are you managing to go away to? okinawa or japan or wherever it was you were trying to go to
0: (laughs) yeah still unavailable to most travelers i am going to probably do an do something relatively quiet here in Los Angeles, but I am planning on doing what I want to do, which is listening to the sound of waves and being able to walk to the beach and swim for several days in a row, which is something I happen to like. So that is what I'm looking
1: forward Good to. Stuff. So, so if you would like to go into this week's show notes and send Ariel some birthday wishes or send send us some voice messages. Do you have a beach house? Is the real question. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah. So if you want to volunteer your beach house for Ariel. He promises to make the beds. No sand inside. No sand. So, yeah, if you have a free beach house going, then I'm sure he would be delighted on the uptake. So, finally, anything? I I know there is a big release coming. David, Ariel, which I've already spoken about. Can Can we dare mention it ahead of the embargo, which I believe will break sometime today as folk are listening to this on thursday
0: do not divulge swiss state secrets please
1: (laughs) so you'll see it everywhere later on today and we'll talk about it next week well we'll leave it at that so go check out the show notes go check out the youtube channel leave us a review send us uh, messages ariel where can people send messages to you on instagram on
0: Instagram, you can reach me on my account, REL to watch, and of course you can contact the main contact page on blogtowatch.com to reach me or anyone else on the blog watch team, including
2: Rick or David.
1: Indeed. If you want to reach David directly though, where can you find him on Instagram, David? They can find me at abtw underscore david good stuff and if you want to reach me send us a voice note for use on the show you can reach me at Riptik talk so thank you very much for listening see you again next week goodbye bye everyone
0: goodbye